Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Informed Catholic Podcast. I'm Ned Jabbar, your host. So let's begin with the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate and was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. And on the third day he arose again from the dead, and he ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. So let's dedicate this to Our Lady, Mother of all Christians, Queen of the Rosary and to St. Joseph, the protector of the church, and to St. Michael, the archangel. Amen. So let's start. I'm going to read from uh, St. Matthew, uh, chapter 16, starting from verse 13, Peter's declaration about Jesus. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do men say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, or one of the, the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the powers of death shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall not be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged his disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, having professed our faith in the Holy Spirit, we go from, I believe, in the Holy Spirit and in one holy Catholic apostolic church. We continue by professing to believe, yes, in the holy Catholic church, of which the Holy Spirit is the soul or source of her corporate life. So, the as a human body, the Holy Spirit, like the human body, is sort of the mind, the intellect, and the very soul that keeps that body alive. So we have to understand it that in many ways Christ designed the church in this fashion. It's like this. Um, he obviously established his body, which is the Catholic Church. Then on Pentecost, God breathes. The Holy Spirit comes down from heaven. Remember, it comes down supposedly like a fire and tongues of fire. And in the upper room, it just appears. Well, just like in the book of Genesis, where God breathed in the body of the human person of Adam and Adam became a living being. The Holy Spirit in this same way is modeled that way. And so it's the life, the beating, 
life and the heart of the church. And that's something we have to remember that. Now, in one sense, the church began with the origins of the human race. God wants to save people, not only as individuals, but as members of society. Consequently, the church corresponds on the level of grace to our social existence on the level of nature. The foreshadowing of the church goes back to the call of Abraham, the father of all the faithful. Yeah, that's something we have to remember when God called Abraham out. Remember what he said, these particular words, which I thought was very important. So in Genesis chapter 12, we have the call of Abraham. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who curses you, I will curse. And by you, all the families of the earth shall bless themselves. This is uh, chapter 12, verse 1, going down to verse 3. This passage is also found in another area where um, Genesis chapter 2, uh, the story of Abraham about to sacrifice Isaac. And just right after that incident, we'll start from verse 15 when he was stopped. And, the, and then the angel spoke to him. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will indeed bless you and I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. And by your descendants shall all the nations of the earth bless themselves, because you have obeyed my voice. So, you know, so Abraham returned uh, to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. So there you go. So it's right here in uh, verse 18. And by your descendants shall all the nations of the earth bless themselves, because you have obeyed my voice. So... Uh, the idea of all the nations of the earth shall bless themselves, that is accomplished through the blood of Christ and the establishment of his church. The church is the fulfillment of that covenant, the promise that was made, that we saw the first encounter God had with Abraham and promising Abraham that all the families and all the nations of the earth shall bless themselves. I believe, I know it's repeated again somewhere between these two events, but this is what we see. And this is part of that great covenant, a great promise. Sorry, I have the window open and you'll hear some guys working next door, but there's no need to keep the air conditioner on or anything. 
Uh, anyway, so this is part of the whole thing that's beautiful about the Catholic faith. We look into this, we can see where all these promises are made. And these promises are repeated again, uh, promised uh, to Moses on Mount Sinai. Um, the pro we see what Solomon says, and Jesus quotes Solomon. Did you not know that my house was a house, uh, you know, uh, for a light, you know, to all nations, you know, and this is exactly what it was meant to be. But because uh, people in the past. And because of circumstances, they blocked themselves. The Israelites blocked themselves from seeing this. And they were, you know, in some instances, you got to look at it from their perspective. They were constantly attacked by other neighbors. But unfortunately, because of circumstances where they were punished, they sort of like locked themselves even more into xenophobia, into their culture and prevented from seeing that they had a divine mission to show the world the uh, the one true faith of Yahweh, of the Lord God. But this later on will be fulfilled in Christ himself, who will create a new covenant and a new kingdom. And that will be the church. So uh, as Father James Harden says in his book, The Pocket Catechism, the Holy Spirit is the life soul of the church. And it is the mind and heart of the church, just like a soul in the human body. So I'll read this passage again. The foreshadowing of the church goes back to the call of Abraham, the father of all the faithful. But the church actually came into existence only with the incarnation. And here we find three stages in her establishments. Christ began building the mystical body, which is the church, when by his preaching he made known he made known his precepts to the world. He completed the church when he died on the cross, and he proclaimed the church when he was sent when he sent the Holy Spirit on the apostles on Pentecost Sunday. What exactly do we mean when we say that the church was born on Calvary? We mean that by his death on the cross, Christ merited the graces that a sinful world needed to be reconciled with, and and if, uh, you know, with an uh, an offended God. However, that was only the beginning. Certainly, J Jesus won for us all the graces that we need to be saved and sacrificed, but these graces have to be communicated to the world it is through the church which came into existence on good friday that the savior ever since has been channeling his grace to the human family having founded the church christ made sure that she would endure until the end of time i am with you he promised all the days even to the consummation of the world by the close of the apostolic age, church leaders had to take a stand and declare who belongs to her. There was no choice. There were dissenters from within and opponents from without. By the end of the fourth century, the description of the church as a holy and Catholic was expanded to what was 
we profess in the Nessing Creed. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. These four adjectives have become the four marks that identify the true church of Christ. So, there you have it. This is important that we understand this exactly what the Catholic Church is and what its mission is. There were dissenters inside and there were opponents outside. There were several um, figures within the church that tried to pervert the, the, the theology. Um, so let me look into uh, the Baltimore Catechism. This is volume four. Uh, Third Council of Baltimore. This is what this was the catechism that was used for a long time, probably up to the 1960s when uh, Vatican II happened. And let's look at this. It says here, the means instituted by our Lord to enable men at all times to share in the fruits of redemption are the church and the sacraments. We'll do the sacraments in another episode, but let's read this here. Our Lord instituted the church to carry on the work he himself was doing upon the earth, teaching the ignorant, visiting the sick, helping the poor, forgiving sins, etc. He commanded all men to hear the church teaching, just as they would hear himself. But suppose some persons should establish a false church and claim that it was the true church of our Lord. How could people know the true church from the false church? When a man invents any, anything to be sold, what does he do that people may know the true uh, article? Say, a pen. Why put his trademark upon it? Now, the trademark is a certain sign. Sorry, there's a lot of work going on outside the window, but I'm not going to close it. Now, the trademark is a certain sign which shows that the article bearing it is the genuine article. And if others use the trademark on imitation articles, they are liable to be punished by the law. Now, our Lord did the same. He gave his church four marks or four characteristics to distinguish it from all false churches. He said, my church will be one. It will be holy it will be a Catholic, it will be apostolic. And if any church has not these four marks, you may be sure it is not my church. Some false churches may seem to have one or two, but never all the marks. So when you find even one of the marks wanting, you will know it is not the true church, church uh, true church established by Christ. Therefore, all the religions that claim to be the true religion cannot be so. If any one man says a thing is white and another says it's black, or if one says a thing is true and another says it's false, they cannot be both right. Only one can be right. And if you wish to know the, tr the truth, we have to find out which one it is. So, when one religion says a thing is true, and another religion says the same thing is false, one of them must be wrong, and it is our duty to find out the one that is right. Therefore, of all the religions claiming to be 
the true religion of our Lord, only one can be telling the truth. And that one is the religion or church that can be, oh, I'm sorry, that can show the four given, given marks. The Roman Catholic Church is the only one that can show these marks. And it is therefore the only true church, as we shall see in the next lesson. Well, let's hope after this Amazonian Synod, it remains the one true church. Well, this is the, the stuff that was in the bottle of our catechism. And I have to say, it's pretty impressive. I mean, you don't hear any priest talking like that today. You don't hear anyone. I mean, if you do, hate to say it, it's like you hear it only on YouTube. That's where you hear the brave priests talking. But in New York City, you don't see that. Uh, you don't hear that in your local parish. Um, the popular celebrity priests and bishops, they don't talk this way. Um, they're too busy trying to please all the uh, politicians and all the, uh, the TV stations. It's impossible for them to talk this way. It's impossible for them to say the faith as it is. And they don't realize how much respect and how much support they will get if they only would talk this way, if they only would speak this way. Even with the new immigrants, they want to hear a positive thing. It seems like we've more divided the church with the social justice stuff. Instead, we should be uniting it. One time, it was Latin that we heard. And it, think about it. If it is Latin we hear in Mass that it doesn't make a difference that the person next to us speaks another language because then we have a sacred language that unites us. I mean, look at the fact that you got Jews from all over the world and they can, and some Jews, at least the ones that are very, very traditional and very, very orthodox, they can come from different countries around the world. They may not speak English, but they would understand exactly what's happening in their synagogue in Hebrew. And they know, they know exactly what the liturgy is going to be. With Muslims, it can be the same thing. Even though you might have Muslims from, let's say, Asia and the Middle East, they can go to a mosque and they will understand because their, their, their religious service is going to be in Arabic. Why is it that we as Catholics have this problem with Latin? I mean, we talk about bigotry and discrimination, and yet we seem to nourish it by identity politics. All right? I mean, these, I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't mind the Chinese having their service. I think it's great. But, you know, if we had it, if we all were trained, if we stayed stuck with the Latin, instead of going into the vernacular at one time, you know, a Catholic in Europe could have a missile and he, can, he or she can go from France to Portugal and from Portugal to Holland and to Germany and you would know exactly what the church calendar is going to be 
especially since you kept up with the church calendar and you have a missal in Latin. And this particular uh, this particular way of worship, you would know. You would know exactly what's going on within the service. The traditions and customs might be slightly different. They would vary from region to region, but the service is still the same. And that's, you know, that's the thing we lost. But now we sort of have a handicapped liturgy, a sort of like, uh, you know, let me take you by the hand liturgy, uh, you know, sort of thing, you know, a, a poor man's liturgy. We're actually more Protestant now than we're Catholic. I mean, the music, I hate to tell you, I can't stand the music. It's just awful. I mean, they're nice people. You know, the music is horrible. I mean, I've been to services, uh, a Latin service, where they had Gregorian chant, and I've seen everybody. I've seen the people there. You had Filipinos there. You had people from South America. You had people, uh, you know, you had whites, you had blacks, you had Asians there. And everybody during this Trinitine service was on the page. Nobody seemed to be complaining. And everybody seemed to know what's going on. Uh, you know, I mean, not everybody has access to it, I know. But maybe this would actually unite us more. Maybe it would heal the differences within the church if we actually start uh, bringing this back and stop with the identity politics within the church. It would actually maybe bring respect unfortunately it doesn't seem to be that way you know it seems to be that the the certain people within the church want to keep it this way and they want to keep the division between catholics i don't think i think if we had a latin mass uh at least even in the novus ordo maybe we maybe our bishops wouldn't be so concerned about what's happening in the border so much Maybe the uh, the attitude of Catholicism and the unity of Catholicism could inspire the secular world more. But unfortunately, that doesn't seem to be the case. All right, so um, we'll get back to this again later on, and uh, we'll talk more about the current events. So I'll be hearing from you guys soon, uh, or you'll be hearing from me, that is. Sorry. Uh, so God bless and hear from you. You know, we'll hear, we'll see each other again. Bye.